You are listening to the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA, an educational service agency that supports school districts in eastern Iowa with a focus on equity, excellence, and efficiency in education for all children. Welcome to episode 24 of the EdTech Takeout, the podcast that serves up bite-sized technology tips for teachers. My name is Jonathan Wiley. I'm a digital learning consultant with Grantwood AEA, and with me as always is my effervescent co-host, Mindy Carney. What up? Let's do this. Are you feeling effervescent today? I don't even know what that word means, so, but probably. Bubbly, energetic, that kind of stuff. Oh, it does? Yeah. That was kind of a compliment. I think that's complimentary. I think so. Oh, thanks. It's like the nicest thing you ever said to me, and I didn't even know what it meant. (laughs) So, that's good. That is good. Mm -hmm. Yes. Feels like a while since we've done this uh, podcasting thing. You know, I was on the way to work today, and I was like, geez, are we going to release a podcast sometime soon? It feels like it's been forever. But we've been super busy, doing lots of great things out in school, so we have a little bit of time to carve out today to kind of hammer this episode out. All right, so let's get started. Okay. With some follow-up. So, um, Apple Clips just came out. Yes. We talked about it, what, maybe in our last episode or episode before that, somewhere that, you know, we had heard it was coming out. And I haven't played with it uh, I don't think at all. I think I downloaded it and then kind of forgot about it. So have you played with it? I have played with it a little bit, yes, and uh, done nothing that I would want to publicly share with the world. Um, but I have noticed there are a number of educators who are sharing things with the world because Apple put together a hashtag called Classroom Clips and are encouraging teachers oh. to share things that they have created in the Apple Clips app. So if you are on Twitter and you search for the Classroom Clips hashtag, you will be able to see a whole bunch of different examples of how teachers are using that new app in the classroom. Um, Some more follow-up that uh, we've mentioned in the past is this camera that we have at uh, Grant Wood called the Mevo camera. We haven't used that all that much recently, have we, Mindy? No, uh uh-uh. Um, But it's got a new update that may get us back into using it again because uh, you can now use this Mevo camera to broadcast to YouTube Live and to Periscope as well as to Facebook Live. So this is the camera that um, lets you record um, video, but on your iPad there's an app that lets you choose the different camera shots that you would like to have. So instead of you manually zooming in or things like that, it will... um, record the room and give you like a director's view on your iPad so that you can pick and choose the shots that you would like to have. Right. And for schools, this is kind of neat for like sporting events or, um, you know, like an art fair or sometime when students are presenting something that they've learned. So it's kind of a neat way to um, let the world see what's going on in your school without, you know, people actually having to be there. So might be some ideas of um, a way to use it in your school too. Yeah, and now it lets you broadcast to YouTube and to Periscope and to Facebook. So you've got more options on where you share those videos. Well, the nice thing about YouTube is that it kind of saves it with Facebook Live. I mean, you could still, I feel like Facebook Live, like once it's on there, there's, I don't know, you can't really download it then. Can you? Off of Facebook? I don't know. I think it saves it into the, I think it saves it into the videos tab on on your account where you can access all those things again later. Um, but yeah, oh, yeah, YouTube is that yeah. universal video sharing platform and might be a better right. option for people. Yeah. Okay. And again, following up from a previous episode, we, we talked about Flipgrid recently as one of our nuggets. And Mindy was kind enough to bring me back a Flipgrid laptop sticker, weren't you, Mindy? 
I know. Yeah, I did from South by Southwest EDU. Yep, it's still on my desk. Stick that puppy on there. Yeah. Yeah, with, I know. With I all know. those other stickers on my laptop, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So much for giving you a gift. I came across this blog post uh, by Carly Mara, and uh, it's 15 ways to use Flipgrid in your classroom. So I kind of wish I had this when I was talking about Flipgrid as a, as a tech nugget. But if you're looking for ideas and you're thinking, hey, Flipgrid's kind of interesting, what could I do with that? Then she's got a list of 15 different ways, including things like um, reading responses, you know, end of semester reflections, advice for the next year's class, debating a topic, 30-second book talk challenges, and... Just, you know, 15 great ideas. I mean, if you use Recap and you prefer Recap, I would think you could use a lot of those for Recap too. But uh, since we talked about Flipgrid recently, I happened to see this on social media. I thought it was worth sharing, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, and there's something here about um, app smashing with Flipgrid, which I didn't really even... I mean, I don't know as much about Flipgrid as you do because I haven't looked at it much, but there's like a little video about how to app smash with Flipgrid. So that's kind of interesting because you couldn't do that with Recap. Yeah, it's good to have that um, app smashing ability there too. So yeah, there's a video you can you can watch and see how to integrate it with all those different apps. So I saw um, on here that you uh, linked an article from Matt Miller, who is amazing. He does uh, ditch that textbook, and um, he just has a blog post about how he's going back to using paper but staying digital, which I think is interesting because a lot of times I think as um, digital learning consultants, people always think that we want to techify things. But I think our team is um, very much kind of doing the same thing as far as we still use paper a lot. Well, some of us do. You don't use paper at all, but that works for you, obviously. But I kind of like some of his ideas in here and how he talks about the benefits of paper and having something tangible in your hands and um, being able to visibly see your ideas up and displayed or um, something like that where with technology or using digital tools, you kind of have to search for your things and find where you put what. And sometimes paper is an easier way to kind of stay organized. And um, I thought it was a really great post by him. I was, I was um, really excited to read it. Yeah, and in the past, we've talked about things like, you know, handwriting and how important it is that students learn good handwriting. We've uh, had Beth on here talking about her Rocketbook notebook. And we do have a podcast coming up. We've not released it yet on on note-taking and digital note-taking. So this all kind of ties in with that and and things we've talked about in the past. He's got some really great points on here. And I'm going to say, I know you said I, I don't use paper, but... I feel like I'm I'm getting closer to the fence now where I might start to think about it because what? he's got a good system here what? where he's like, you know, recording it on yeah. paper and then like saving it digitally so that he right. can organize it and find it and search yeah. for it later. I think I might need some kind of OCR yeah. on there, maybe just to you know, be able to search through those notes a bit better. But I don't know. There's maybe yeah. some potential that I might explore something like this. Maybe over the summer I'll look into it. Yeah, and he talks about using Google Keep because you can take your pictures and add them into Google Keep. And what I like about Google Keep, too, is that you can annotate. And you know how I love that touchscreen uh, Chromebook that I have. With Google Keep on your touchscreen Chromebook, it's you know much more user-friendly, I think, to be able to just write on your screen. Um, but it allows you to kind of go back and, and write over top of the things you've already created and stuff. So I think I'd like to experiment a little bit more with Google Keep. I know it's got like this 
it's just been updated kind of and added some new features and stuff. I'd really like to look into it. I think it'd probably be good for you too. Yeah, I I'd definitely take a look at it. I do a lot of stuff in OneNote but and, and keep stuff in there, but you know, Google, yeah, you Google do, keep right. good work too. Um but yeah. but yeah, like you said, he has he has a lot of good points here and if you are um a, a note taker and wondering about how to make that digital, he's got a good workflow here that you could look into and uh maybe explore as an option for for the future. Yeah. So another thing um, we've kind of been experiencing here at Grant Wood is that we have parrot parrot drones. And um, we used to be able to code parrot drones, but the app that we used to use no longer supports coding with parrot drones. And um, Swift Playgrounds now has an app that allows you to um, use it with parrot drones, correct? Uh, yeah, kind of correct. It's not a, a specific app. Um, it's something that, okay. that Parrot have developed that you can download, share to the iPad, and then you can control a drone with Swift Playgrounds. So it's fairly recent. You go to bit.ly forward slash Swift underscore drone, and it lets you download this zip file. Well, you have to do this on a computer. It probably won't work very well on the iPad unless you have something that deals with zip files like maybe Documents 5 or something uh-huh. like that. You download and unzip the file. You share the file to the iPad via AirDrop or some kind of cloud service. Uh-huh. And then you open it with the Playgrounds yeah. app, and it's got like a little uh, tutorial in there and some ideas on how to program your Parrot drones with Swift Playgrounds. So we used to use the Tickle app, and, yeah, that's the one you're talking about that right. discontinued. I didn't know if we, yeah, it is, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, discontinued service for uh, the, the Parrot <laughs> yeah. drones. Uh, but they have a lot of great other devices like Dash and Dot and the Spheros and things that they do support, but uh, right. they stopped supporting yep. those Parrot drones for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah, I need to check this out. Tinker also supports uh, the Parrot drones too. So if you have iPads and you have the Tinker app for iPad, that will also let you program mm-hmm. drones. But uh, if you've been experimenting with Swift Playgrounds and you have your kids programming in Swift now, then uh, try this uh, little add-on from Parrot Education. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. All right, so some new updates and news from around the web. Uh, first thing I found here was that Apple have now made the iWork and iLife apps free for all devices. So if you're a Mac or an iOS user, um, you no longer have to purchase Pages, Keynote, Numbers, iMovie, or GarageBand. I was going to say iPhoto there, but they killed iPhoto. Um, it used to be that you, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it used to be that if you had an older device, you still had to pay for those apps, but um, now it's free. Right. Yeah. I know a lot of people are using Google Google stuff now or Microsoft stuff, but yeah. the iWork and the iLife stuff is out there. And so if you are still using iPad 2s or things like that, then yeah, you can have those for free now. Yeah. And you know what? They really are great products. I mean, I used to have my first and second graders use them. And what I always loved about um, using pages and stuff was that the kids could insert a picture and then move it around and put it exactly where they want it. Yep. And the text would wrap around it and things like that. Yeah. 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 There wasn't a lot of, it just kind of automatically formatted it the way you were envisioning, which was nice, especially with littler kids, you know, so I liked it a lot. 
and they all work offline as well. So, I mean, you don't need an internet connection if you've got yeah. bad connection or network problems or anything. You can all use those. Uh, right. No problem. Um, another great tool that we use a lot is Pixabay, and they just recently have added a Pixabay Google Docs add-on. So um, you just use that little tool, and it pops up in the right navigation or right side menu. It kind of opens up, and you can search right in there. But as we found with Pixabay is that you kind of have to be tread with care because um, sometimes when you put in words, you might be surprised of some of the images that pop up. So um, Pixabay does have a safe search that you have to turn on, um, but from what I see, it doesn't look like you can turn that on in um, the actual add-on. So it's a great tool, just something to kind of be aware with, be aware of. Recommended with a disclaimer then, yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, um, I think in a previous episode, we gave people a heads up about a possible forthcoming iPad, which turned out to be true, the oh, yeah. clairvoyance yep. that we are. <laughs> I'm going to give people a heads up now as well. This may have come to pass by the time you listen to this episode, but on May 2nd, Microsoft is having an education-focused event which will likely center around something called Windows 10 Cloud and perhaps new Windows devices, which could be similar in style to Chromebooks. Um, So with like a a store where you go and you get your apps and extensions from. Um, It's kind of a a different version of Windows. You won't be able to run traditional software on it necessarily, but I I don't want to talk too much or Mm -hmm. speculate too much until all that stuff comes out. So... May 2nd, we'll get a a heads up on that. Hmm. Let's keep our eye out. Yes, and speaking of uh, Microsoft, um, the to-do list that I love and used religiously was called Wonderlist, and it got bought by Microsoft a year or so ago, and that was okay, all fine. You never know when companies buy things, whether they're going to kill things, absorb Uh things, or, you know, do nothing with it, or make it free, and all the rest, but... uh, Microsoft have uh, recently announced that they are going to replace it with something called Microsoft To Do, which is not nearly as good as Wonderlist, in my opinion. But uh, just a heads up, <laughs> if you're a Wonderlist user, do you know who's a Wonderlist user or has used it with kids? Our friend Andrew Fenstermaker from Iowa oh, really? City. Yeah, he used to use Wonderlist well, with shout his... Shout out for Andrew. Yeah, with his fourth and fifth graders. So he was a big Wonderlist user for a while. So, but um, I don't think huh. they replace... Well, maybe you... T- Go on. <laughs> I said maybe you two should have a little farewell party together. Drown your sorrows. Maybe we should, yes. Drown our sorrows over Wonderlist. But uh, I'm already exploring yeah. other options, let's say, right now. Follow up on the next episode. All right. So for the main course, Sir to Piping Hot today is Formative Tech with Monica Burns. Dr. Monica Burns is with us today as an EdTech and Curriculum Consultant, Apple Distinguished Educator, and founder of ClassTechTips.com. In her role as a classroom teacher, she used iPads one-to-one with her students while aligning her instruction to the Common Core State Standards. 
Monica has presented to teachers, administrators, and tech enthusiasts at numerous national and international conferences. She is a webinar host for Simple K-12, a regular contributor to uh, Edutopia, and is the author of titles um, such as Deeper Learning with QR Codes and Augmented Reality, a Scannable Solution for Your Classroom. So hello, Monica, and welcome to the EdTech Takeout. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome, Monica. Um, I'm just going to throw this in there because you probably won't have any knowledge of this, but I did happen to see you at uh, ISTE last year. Um, oh. You were... You were, I saw your poster presentation you were doing on uh, QR codes and scannable tech, and you did an, an Ignite session as well. So uh, oh, I'm really excited to, to have you here on the podcast. Oh, no, I didn't know that. So I'm so um, so pleased that you were able to, to see that. I know that Ignites are, are lots of fun. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. one of my favorites to attend because you just get so much happening. So that's great. So, um, Monica, you've just written a new book called uh, Formative Tech, which is um, something we've definitely talked a lot about formative assessment um, in past episodes. And it's really a popular topic, I think, with educators and, and obviously with us as well. So um, when the opportunity came to kind of talk to you about this book, we are super excited to kind of share with our listeners some of your great ideas and um, some of your implementation ideas as well. So can you kind of get us started and tell us why did you write this book about formative assessment and technology? Yeah, so when I was really focused on um, with this particular text was trying to give teachers the tools that they need to make best use of the tools in their classroom, right? So what kind of strategies can you use that technology really elevates and the experience of checking for understanding in a way that's not just collecting multiple choice questions more efficiently, but that might be part of it in, in some classrooms, mm -hmm. but really getting a deeper window into student thinking so that you can make smarter decisions about your instruction and, and what direction instruction is going to go in over the course of a school day or the course of, you know, a, a long-term unit of study. So my goal is really to give teachers the tools that they need to take their checking for understanding to the next level, thanks to whatever mix of technology might be at their hands or, or in their classroom. Yeah, I think it's it's coming at a, at a at a good time for, for teachers because it seems like there's no end of new formative assessment tools and things that are out there. And it's easy to jump into a tool and, and see how to use it, perhaps, but how to use it authentically and meaningful and as, as part of the context you're doing. You talk more about that in, in, in the book, I guess. Um, yeah. Going beyond that surface level. Yeah. Very much, right? So there's great tools. You know, I name lots of them, right? I give really specific examples of some of them in action, but I really uh, try hard to um, hammer home the point that it's not so much about what tool you're using this week because things will change, but just the best practices of listening in, creating workflows, and making sure that there are systems in place so that you're able to get a full picture of your whole class and the individuals in your class as well. Sure. So um, the subtitle of your book includes the words meaningful, sustainable, and scalable. Uh, as Rishan Richards mentions this in the preface to the book, and you talk about it in the introduction, and it, it continues to be a theme throughout the book at the end of each chapter. You're talking about how it can be meaningful, sustainable, and scalable. So how do these terms relate to formative assessment, and what role does technology play in supporting that? Yeah, so Rashawn Richards was, was so kind to write the forward of the book. Um, he's the 
um, the brains behind Explain Everything, which is a wonderful screencasting tool. And so he talks a little bit about it. You know, and of course, uh, as I go through the book, it's really some of the, the core phrases that I, I come back to. This idea of making formative assessment meaningful. So it really counts. There's a purpose behind it. You know what your success criteria is. You know what you're looking for um, when you are bringing these tools into a, a lesson or, or series of lessons. Making sure that it feels sustainable. So it might not be just a one-off, right, or every once in a while, but part of your general best practices um, that are happening across the, the school day. And then making it scalable too, so that it's not just happening in, in one corner of the school, um, but that you're coming together, you know, as a grade level team and thinking about the ways that you are um, checking for understanding in a kind of a common fashion, if you will. And so that idea of things being scalable, it might not look the same in every classroom and it really shouldn't look the same in every classroom. Even if you do happen yeah. to have the same delivery of resources um, right at your in your students' hands, um, but the idea that you're working in partnership with other people in your building, you have those um kind of buddies I like to think of it as that you can come to and, and talk about what's working and what you can improve upon so that it's something that everyone kind of buys into and becomes a general best practice for your school. One of the things I really appreciated about your book, Monica, is um, kind of like you had mentioned about uh, it's not necessarily the whole book isn't about the tech tools. It's really, I think, a great introduction and um, integration model for formative assessment and really talks about what formative assessment and, and how um, is and, and how to use it and um, how you talk about those clear learning targets and having a pulse check so it's not just a beginning and an ending kind of formative assessment to um, keep checking in with students. So um, kind of leading into that, though, I know it's not about the technology, but what are some of the technology tools that um, you suggest that teachers use or that you're seeing teachers use that really are efficient for them? Yeah, and there are, you know, there are great tools out there that really help illustrate the concepts, right, they talk about in the book. Um, one that I love is Nearpod, where you can embed um, interactive activities in the midst of a lesson. I like that one because I think it's a nice, um, a nice way for teachers to wrap their head around how they could do something in a traditional fashion. Um, like give a presentation to the class, but then take it to the next level with having interactive experiences that not just um, keep kids um, engaged in the content, but also give information that you can then act on or, or change the direction of a lesson. So Nearpod's one I love for the embedding um, questions, explain everything, which I mentioned, and Seesaw is another um, that might feel a little bit more friendly for those of you just getting started, especially with younger students, is great for screencasting and reflections. So having students um, you kind of sit back and pause and reflect on their learning is going to tell you a lot more when they describe their experience solving, you know, a, a math problem um, than if they just bubble in, you know, the right or the wrong answer. So those tools that give you a, a clear picture in a student thinking, whether you use it as an exit slip um, type of screencast or reflection, or you do something in the middle of a lesson that's more interactive and gives you information. Um, those are some of, of my favorites, ones that I use when I visit schools and I'm working with teachers and with students and that I recommend because they're they're easy to get started and, and, and really pay off in terms of what you're able to accomplish with, with what you're gathering uh, in terms of your information. Yeah, and so some of these tools, I mean, I think I, I saw this pretty much throughout um, the, the book there, but uh, 
you are obviously a, you're an Apple distinguished educator. We talked about that. You're very big on Apple products, but uh, a lot of these tools are very cross-platform, aren't they? They, they work on, on multiple devices. So things like Seesaw is going to work on different things and Explain Everything now works on Chromebooks and, and things like that too. And Nearpod works across platforms too. That's, that's an important thing for, for teachers and maybe help making that scalable that no matter what device it is you have in your different classrooms, you can all work on this same platform and uh, and still get the benefits of uh, of working together on that too Absolutely. And I, you know, I came from a one-to-one iPad classroom, um, out of the classroom now doing, uh, supporting teachers, um, through professional development, you know, kind of on the ground, um, spent a lot of time in schools. And what I notice is even if someone says, we just got a delivery of Chromebooks, right. They also have iPads <laughs> or yeah. we're going one-to-one, you know, with our second graders and iPads and they also have Chromebooks, right. So there's a lot of different tools and I, make it a point to bring in as much as possible those device agnostic or BYOD friendly um, types of tools because it just, you know, you don't know necessarily what direction uh, a school might go in and you want to give everyone opportunities to um, play, try out, make a plan um, with a particular tool so that they can jump right in uh, no matter what they have in their classroom. So, um, this is one of the things, too, that I thought was really interesting in your book um, was, you know, as our classrooms are starting to change, um, that there's a lot of collaboration, hopefully, going on in classrooms. And, and you talk a little bit about how to monitor that um, group collaboration, um, because I think that is hard for teachers sometimes when they're starting to kind of relinquish some of the control that they've had for um, years that they're still worried that students aren't on task. And you talk a little bit about that in your book. Can you tell us what are you seeing teachers using or what are you suggesting um, tools for them to kind of monitor that collaboration? Yeah, absolutely. Right. There's definitely that type of, you know, that, oh no, right moment that you have when you're releasing control because you want to make sure that everyone's on task. You want to make sure students are moving in the right direction and you want to make sure that you're kind of checking in with enough frequency that you can feel good, right? That you're supporting students with, with what they need. So there's tools that will let you um, kind of peek into what students might be working on in their kind of small group, um, the Google Docs, uh, Google Slides, right? The whole G Suite um, where you're able to peek in and and take a look at a progress for a project really helps that um, it helps find that balance of giving students independence and freedom while they work in partnerships and being able to monitor and kind of see where kids are at. Um, I also really love back channeling tools, whether you use something like Padlet or something like today's meet, it gives you an opportunity to hold students accountable for participating in a way that might feel um, better for them than raising their hand or sharing something out with a large group. They can still give you the updates of how things are going as they're collaborating with uh, another uh, set of peers in their classroom, but also gives you the opportunity to see a a whole picture as well as what individual groups might need in terms of support. One of the other things I guess I um, hear from teachers a lot is um, as they're starting to use kind of Seesaw or Recap or some of those video responses, um, because they are so great to kind of hear what kids are thinking and, and watch what they're thinking Um, They're also feeling like, wow, I don't have time to sit and kind of watch through these videos. Um, Do you see any effective um, 
ways to kind of get through all of those videos and, and give feedback because we know how important feedback is. Um, you know, how are you suggesting that teachers do that? Is there a time saving, <laughs> some sort of time management um, tool that, that teachers can use or any suggestions that you have? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, one tool that I'm really excited about that kind of has that built in already um, is Recap, um, which similar to Seesaw, right, you have the ability to, you know, talk to your screen, right? And same thing with the screencast where you have a, a record button and you're working through a problem. And so it can be a challenge to sit back and listen to five minutes from every student, right? Go through a, a process and, and give them really actionable feedback. What I normally suggest is to have a, a set of guidelines or structures um, for what that will look like in terms of your implementation. So maybe every student does a, a 30 second clip that gives you a window into their thinking and then you can make some decisions about where um, you know the whole class will go in terms of instructional directions or what you might do for grouping based on commonalities that you see as you are listening into those kind of quick little recaps um, of a student you know talking about what they've accomplished over the course of a day or a misconception or wondering that they have um, when it comes to the more kind of long <laughs> needs my time right to circle the denominator and point out the numerator as I solve that um, fraction addition problem on a screencast, you may um, want to have your students give peer feedback to listen in to a select group over the course of the week. Um, the same thing that you might you know, think about groups and rotations and spending quality time with students. You may have certain students that you're checking in more frequently um, when it comes to watching and giving really specific feedback to their screencast and other students where you may look in with with less frequency yet you still give them an audience by letting them post and share their screencasts and having students um, you know provide their glows and grows over the course of a week oh i like glows and grows that's great i'm gonna hold on to that <laughs> can i steal that is that copyrighted? <laughs> no, take it. It's not mine. It's okay. at all. So yeah, there's a podcast title right there. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so one of the one of the chapters you you have in your book there is about um, organizing and analyzing all of that data that you collect through the formative assessment tools. And I I really appreciate that. I think it, that's, that's something that's worth spending and taking some time on because we think about formative assessment tools sometimes as a way that. Um, teachers can automate the whole process of giving a quiz and grading it all for them and saving them a whole bunch of time. But in some ways, I think of it more as a way of just um, shifting some of that time over and giving you more time to, to analyze and, and look at those results. Because at the end of the day, that's, that, that's the purpose of why you're, you're doing this formative assessment. You're doing these checks on student understanding. And maybe, could you maybe talk more about, you know, the importance of analyzing and organizing all that data? Absolutely. And, you know, I think back to, to my time in the classroom, you know, before iPads, right, even, um, you know, sitting in those meetings and getting all the test scores from the state tests from the year before, right? Um, yeah. and, and sitting down and thinking about that and, and really feeling like it wasn't the best use of, of our time as, as teachers because the data wasn't, you know, real time, did not feel actionable, um, did not feel as relevant as the information that we would collect, you know, in the midst of a lesson. So, as you mentioned, right, technology tools give us the opportunity to organize um, data in a way that makes it easier to analyze and gives us more time to then act on that information, which I think is really key, right? So, 
if we are, you know, pushing out a multiple choice, you know, quick quiz to students and we're seeing trends, we need to act on that, right? And so we now have more time to say, these are some pockets that I need to look in a little bit deeper. Here's some students with similar needs that I can now spend time with, you know, in a small group, or I notice this as a, a, you know, a pattern that's happening with just a few students. I can use the tech tools that they have access to, to share resources that will support them with their specific needs. So we're able to be a lot smarter when it comes to not just collecting information, but really acting on it on a way that, that makes sense. So um, one of the things, and of course, you know, I focus on in the book because I think it's really important is to make sure that you have systems for analyzing and responding to that, um, that information that you're collecting and being really purposeful with determining what it is you want <laughs> in terms of um, what you're asking students, what you're expecting in terms of their responses, if they're if you're looking for that particular mastery of a, of a skill or or strategy that you've introduced to students, the more purposeful you can be with identifying that success criteria will end up giving you information that you can act on um, in more in a more immediate manner. Yeah, and that that goes back to you know what Mindy was talking about earlier about you know it's just it's just good practice. It's formative assessment one hundred and one that stuff before you even get into the the tech side of things. So yeah, that, that's that's great advice. So. Maybe as as uh, as you're doing your rounds and and going out and consulting with schools, I mean, Mindy and I do that kind of thing too with with schools here in Iowa. What's what's one of the biggest challenges that you're seeing teachers are are facing with technology in their classrooms right now? What are you what are you working on right now to help support that tech integration side of things? Yeah, so I would say you know one of the biggest challenges just from the get go is making sure that you know not just devices are are delivered, <laughs> but that there's support in terms of smart curriculum integration, so that there's a plan for how we're leveraging the technology in order to capture student thinking, to give them content that is just right for for your goals and for that you've set up for them and then of course to really empower them as creators as they interact with content and and demonstrate their understanding so although there are you know certain pockets of challenges when it comes to device deployment or you know wireless network structures that you know come in, in all different shapes and sizes as I, I visit schools across the country you know one of the biggest things is that I find is you know the the variety of how much time is set aside to really be purposeful with planning for technology integration. Uh, there's wonderful things you can do with iPad centers, right? But it doesn't mean that, you know, there's the iPad, choose a game during your rotation, right? How are we using these tools to really effectively address the the goals that we've set out for students? And, and that's an area where I think there's um, pockets of wonderful innovation and adoption and other areas where that needed is being identified and they're kind of working to make sure that the tech is being leveraged to address curriculum goals. Yeah, getting the devices is step one, but we have to remember there's step two and three <laughs> so and four much more to and it than that. Yeah. all those other things <laughs> on there too. Yeah. 
what's something that just ex- really excites you about technology and education um, right now? What are what are you just really excited about? Yeah, so what I've been really pumped about, um, you know, it's the past, I would say, six months or so, just seeing so much growth in the space is really new ways for students to tell the stories of their learning and to explore, you know, different spaces and places as well, um, not just as creators of content, which is an important part of that, but as consumers of, of content too. And, and one thing I've been playing around with and exploring in terms of ways to be thoughtful with integration and in that capacity is giving students the opportunity to um, visit new places through through virtual reality and then respond and tell their own stories through creation tools. So I just got a, a new uh, 360 degree camera that plugs into your iPhone. I don't know if you saw yesterday, I, I posted, I, or I think it's going up on my Facebook um page today for my business, the Class Tech Tips page. And so with that, I was able to do a, a live Facebook stream in 360, <laughs> which so that I'm really excited about oh, playing around with more and, and thinking about, you know, how are we capturing student stories in a way that, you know, gets them excited about demonstrating their understanding and experiences. But then how are we, um, you know, balancing that with kind of the content consumption of those sort of neat new media and, and giving kids the opportunity to to capture and create those experiences too. So the VR piece becoming increasingly more accessible. Um, I'm really excited about that from a, a storytelling perspective. Yeah, it's something we've we've explored a lot too. And it is a really exciting new technology. It's one of those ones that it's just become accessible to school levels in terms of pricing and technology. And people are still figuring out how, how best to, to use it. So I think that's one of the things that, that does make it exciting because it has a lot of potential and uh, ability to excite students and just take that learning to the to the next level yeah it's been a really neat just to see the growth in in that particular pocket and um, i'm really excited to see what what comes down the line as it becomes more accessible all right any other questions for monica mindy i don't think so um I don't know. Is there anything else, Monica, that you'd like to toss in there that maybe we didn't touch? Gosh, um, I don't know. I, we, we shared a, a bunch of tools that I think will be great examples for people. And, you know, I appreciate your your thoughtful questions um, regarding some of the collaboration and the integration pieces. So, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with, with all those components. Could you tell us uh, where people could uh, find the book or, or find you online and if they wanted to connect and, and learn more about Formative Tech? Yeah, so my book, uh, Formative Tech, is now out on Amazon. So it's on Amazon and paperback and Kindle. And then, of course, my blog, classtechtips.com, is just full of uh, daily posts of lots of different favorites. You know, when I started off, it was kind of straight from my classroom with my favorite iPad apps, but it's gone um, and grown into um, many different tools in kind of that pre-K through 20. So Class Tech Tips on Twitter and then classtechtips.com is where I share all of my favorites. Yeah, it's a great blog. If you don't already subscribe, I subscribe and I have no idea how you find the time to post as many of the <laughs> posts as you do. I'm putting you and Richard Byrne up there in the, in the same cat- category there. You're just like constant content creators. So uh, thank you for all you do. We appreciate it. We appreciate your work. <laughs> oh, I oh, thank you so much for saying that. Thank you. Well, thank you, Monica, for, for joining us on the uh, Tech Takeout. Um, you had a lot of great things to share with uh, with our listeners, and uh, we're very pleased you had the time to, to be, to be here, here with us today. today. Oh, thank you for having me. 
All right, on to my favorite part of the show. It's Tech Nuggets. I'm going to go first today. Okay. Okay. Um, So I'm going to give a little hat tip to our teammate, Gina Rogers, because she brought this uh, tool to um, me. Again, I had seen it last year, like briefly, I think. And um, she's like, hey, have you seen this? This could be a Tech Nugget. And I looked at it. I'm like, ah, I have seen it. But thanks for reminding me. It's called Peanut Gallery Films. And I don't know if you have seen this, Wiley, but um, it's kind of a fun take on old silent films. And there's all these little silent films that you can choose from, just like little snippets, like probably no longer than 30 seconds maybe. And uh, you hit the little microphone and it voice types for you what you say. So you get to kind of add your voice over – well, it's not really adding your voice. It's adding text from what you're saying um, into the silent film. Uh, it's super fun. It's kind of a creative way maybe to talk about dialogue or something like that. So um, after you've created it, there's a couple ways you can share it. You can download it. I'm sorry. I'm taking that back. You can't download it. You can um, share it on Twitter, Facebook, Google+. So you can kind of share those little um, short films out. But it's kind of a fun one uh, maybe to take a look at. And I think it'd be a great tool for inferencing, you know, because you could kind of watch the short film first and kind of Uh, make an inference about what's happening and then go back and add the text in. So just a couple ways to um, maybe integrate that into your curriculum. That sounds like a lot of fun. Okay, so my first tech nugget is called TAC, which I think is something I'm going to try and persuade you to take a look at, Mindy, because I know you are a big uh, s'more, s'more user, aren't you? I am, yeah. I use s'more a lot. Well, this is very similar in many ways to s'more. It has lots of um, the same type of features in terms of you're building these online flyers and posters. Um, okay. Tech are a proud partner for Google Education, it says on here. So you can log in with your Google EDU accounts. Oh. You can also log in with Office 365 accounts. But um, it's a very nice, easy-to-create um, online tool here that one of the things I think sets it apart mm-hmm. from um, S'more, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong on this one here, but you can embed over 300 different types of things in your tech, including things like ThingLink and Animoto and stuff like that. Can you do that in S'more? Really? Can you do embed codes and things like that on there? Um. You, not really, no. Um, the only thing that you can kind of embed would be like a YouTube video. Um, so yeah, I do feel like S'more is kind of limiting as far as creativity is concerned. Like there's just templates and that's what you kind of use and that's it. So that would kind of add a little flash to an online flyer. I will check that out for sure. I think it could. I mean, you can do class assignments or book reports and school year goals, field trips, family memories, uh, school promos. I mean, they have a whole education site here, so you can sign up as an educator. And uh, they've got lots of examples on there, too. They even have an EDU blog as well that I'll link to in the show notes Hmm. that uh, has got examples of how you could use it in your classroom. So it's called TAC. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to look at that. I'm going to thank Richard Byrne for that one. Oh, okay. Thank you, Richard Byrne. Mm-hmm. All right. So my next one was kind of sweeping the nation probably maybe last week, two weeks ago. I don't know how old it is, but it's AutoDraw. Um, and AutoDraw is kind of a neat concept. It's like an AI program of sorts. So uh, what you do is you draw um, and then it tries to figure out what it is that you drew. So um for example, I tried drawing a dinosaur this morning, 
And my drawing was bad enough that no dinosaurs popped up. But it does give you a lot of suggestions across the top that you can click on and then it kind of um, cleans up your image a little bit. And um, it's not actually your image anymore. So you kind of choose from auto draw and then it puts the image in that you want. So I actually gave this to my preschooler and my first grader maybe last week sometime and let them play with it. And um, they loved it. They were using my MacBook and were drawing with a trackpad, which was uh, a little challenging probably, especially for my preschooler. She was getting a little frustrated. However, if I would have taken my um, touchscreen Chromebook home, she probably would have really loved it because she's um, really into drawing and things like that. So uh, I think this one is kind of a gem because I think it's great for little kids. Um, It's great for teachers who can just start drawing and then tap on whatever image it is that they want. Uh, To share an auto draw, you can um, download it, share it on Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus. You can share the link to your image. Um, Works on an iPad. It was awesome on my touchscreen Chromebook when I tried it. So um, yeah, I, I would definitely, if anything, just to play with it. It's kind of a fun little tool. It is a fun little tool, and I'm, I'm I'm looking at it now, and you get this canvas, kind of like you would in Google Draw or something like that. And but you can have multiple multiple shapes on the one canvas, and you can move them around, and you can resize them, and you can add text and fill in colors and shapes. So yeah, it's a fun one to try. Definitely, I think I could see creative people coming yeah. up with creative ideas on on how to use them. Yeah, for sure. All right, so my um, second uh, nugget is a website called iCivics, which I don't remember where I found this, but I did come across this recently. It says free lesson plans and games for learning civics, which is not always the most uh, stimulating thing maybe to try and and get into kids' heads sometimes because it's a lot of like rote memorization of this branch does this and this branch does that and all those kinds right. of things. I remember teaching this when I was in fourth grade classroom, but uh, their mission is to engage students in meaningful civic learning. And then they provide teachers well-written, inventive, free resources and games to inspire their kids in the classroom. So it's definitely a good one if you teach any kinds of social studies. Um, I've been playing with some of the games just because, you know, as a foreigner in this country, I thought, hey, there's one here called Win the White House. <laughs> Do you and just call yourself a foreigner? I am a foreigner in this country, so <laughs> um, a legal alien, guess, you know. There's one called Win the White House where you you have to run for president and it's kind of fun because you start off like caucusing sort of thing and you can choose whether you want to be Democrat or Republican and then you choose the issues that you think are important and it'll give you kind of like a little multiple choice like which what what would your reply be to somebody asking you a question Mm. on global warming or Mm. on you know things like that and you reply as you would as a candidate and then you win the caucus and then you become like the you know representative for your party and then you're going head to head with somebody else and try to win the white house so that's just one of the the games that they have on there that i think ties in really well they've got other ones where you know on the yeah. bill of rights or the different uh, branches of government um courts uh rights of citizens uh, immigration all kinds of different things on there so just really fun little interactive games and it's uh 
just a different way of learning civics if you are interested in that and you can check out all their lesson plans and resources there as a teacher too if you are interested good one yeah sometimes it's a hard time it's hard to find um you know websites and stuff for social studies and civics things like that so that's a good one winner winner i'll take it so on to Jonathan's catch of the day, where he shares two different podcasts that he would like to recommend to our listeners. So what are you going to start with today, Wiley? I'm going to start with our friend who we mentioned earlier in the show, Mr. Andrew Fenstermaker, who has put together a podcast with Scott Stimmel in Iowa City called the Listen, Learn, Lead podcast. Yeah. Good to plug um, some of our uh, friends from local area here. Andrew was on the Tech Coach episode previously. Right. And um, they started a podcast where they are talking to teachers and administrators about, you know, ways that they can really impact teaching and learning in the classroom. It's not necessarily uh, technology focused, um, although they may mention it here and there, but it's just about being good educators and promoting best practice mm-hmm. for working with students. So in their first episode, they talked to uh, Patrick Snyder at Garner Elementary. And we've got one coming up with uh, your friend of mine, Mr. Eric Ewald from uh, Van Allen Elementary in North yeah. Liberty. So happy to give a shout out to those guys. They do some great work. It's uh a great project they've got going on. I've talked to them about it as they were in the planning stage. And Mindy, I think you did too. So um, we'll be curious to see where this one goes. Yeah, congratulations, guys. So uh, what about your second one? This is your non-tech one, right? This is my non-educational one, actually. Um, because I'm, right, okay. I'm going to share something that maybe you didn't know about me, Mindy, and that I have a, a secret kind of fascination or love for TV and movies centered around con artists. Really? Well, that's a I know, interest. it seems yeah, a little out okay, there, doesn't right. it? Have you ever seen the yeah. movie uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels? Um, Steve Martin, I feel like I Michael Caine. Prob- yeah. they're, they're, they're both con men. Yes. And I don't remember anything about it, yeah. They're trying to con this um, heiress out of her money, and it turns out she is actually the con artist conning those two out of their oh. uh, money too. So, spoiler alert. But, you know, I, I love movies like that. Yeah. And, you know, your Ocean's 11, 12, 13. Um, I, I watch White Collar mm-hmm. and all those kinds of stuff. So this is called, uh, the podcast is yeah. called the, the Grift, which is about con artists uh-huh. and gives the real life story behind what it is they do so they've had a few episodes out it's it's a fairly new one it just came out so they had one on a an art forger and it was basically it was a it was a dialogue it was an interview with the person talking about what he did and how he did it um they did one on a card shark they just did one uh the last one was on a uh, a lady who was going around conning people Mm -hmm. at the end of the 19th century so um I, I don't condone this kind of behavior, but I just think it's kind of fascinating well, I, to think about and to listen to. That is kind of interesting. I, it makes me wonder about you. So there you go. Here's the grift from Maria Konnikova. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. So before we go, I want to take some time to mention some people who have been listening to the podcast and giving us their feedback. Um, first up is Jenny from Illinois. Do you want to read her review there, Mindy? Sure. It says, I've been listening to Jonathan and Mindy almost since the start of their podcasting. I really appreciate both how they walk through new tools, giving an overview, but also sharing their ideas and how kids can use it meaningfully. I also like the variety, appetizers, main course, and nuggets. So there's always something I walk away with that I can use. Thanks. 
Thank you. Yes, indeed. That was Thank nice. you. Yeah, yeah that was so nice. it's good to get feedback like that. Feel free to leave us a, an iTunes review, and we'll give you a yeah. shout out on the podcast. Um, I'm going to give one more yep. shout out. This is to Stacy Ryan, who is okay. from Northern California. And she said in a tweet to us that uh, she was listening to the EdTech Takeout and now she wants to start her own podcast. Oh, that's nice. This, that is nice, isn't it? We inspiring yeah. a new generation of podcasters, Mindy. Yeah, that's exciting. Thanks, Stacey. Stacey, if you're listening, send us a link to your podcast and uh, we will plug that one as well in uh, my catch of the day. For sure. So I think that's all we have time for this week. Until next time. This has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast.